Well, this morning we will go ahead and take a look at chapter 13 of the book of Romans, shorter chapter today. So you can go ahead and open up your Bibles there. Romans chapter 13. And a few weeks back, we uh, finished up with chapter 12, where we saw how the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, gave us instructions concerning many different things. There was a lot, a lot to cover in Romans chapter 12. I've often said that you could spend a couple months teaching through Romans chapter 12. There's just so much in there. We talked about presenting our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. We talked about not being transformed to this world, but rather being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Uh, which the result of all of that we saw is that we will be able to understand what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We were also instructed in, in Romans chapter 12 to not think too highly of ourselves, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one of us a measure of faith. And there are many members in the body of Christ and not all members have the same function. It's important that we understand that, that we need to use the gifts that God has given to us and not be jealous of or, or con concern ourselves with, you know, at all with what someone else has from the Lord. That's what Paul was instructing us in there. There are different gifts and, and these gifts are all given to us by the grace of God. Uh, we also saw in chapter 12 that we are to bless those who persecute us, rejoice with those who rejoice, to weep with those who weep, to, to not set our minds on high things, but to associate uh, with the humble and to not repay evil for evil. As much as it is possible with us, we are to live peaceably with all men and to give place to wrath because vengeance belongs to the Lord. Do not overcome evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. Or do not be overcome by evil ourselves, but to overcome evil with good. So that's just kind of a quick recap of what we looked at the last time we gathered when we studied Romans chapter 12. And then today, here in Romans chapter 13, verse 1 begins by saying, Let every soul be subject to governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. So as we tie chapter 12 and chapter 13 together here this morning, we see that we're not to take vengeance upon us that do us wrong, as we talked about in chapter 12. Our roles as Christians, is not to repay evil for evil, but to overcome evil with good. And when it comes to all of us as fellow human beings, and especially amongst those that profess faith in Jesus Christ, every soul is to be subject to governing authorities. Now, of course, Christians are involved in government agencies, thankfully, and it's their duty to perform that role. Governing authorities exist because they have been appointed by God to exist. And you see, during the days when Paul wrote this letter, 
to those in Rome, there was a group of zealous Jews who recognized no king but God and, and paid taxes to no one, you know. In other words, they didn't give what was due to the government, but rather just gave to the temple. And Paul was addressing this here. Jesus, of course, told us to do both when he said, render unto Caesars, to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. You see, God appoints the leaders of nations. Sometimes they are good and sometimes they're bad. But nonetheless, God has an ultimate plan in it all. God is above all that exists, and we must keep that in mind when we see certain government officials in in office that we we don't agree with, maybe over time, from here to there, whatever it may be. We got to remember that God's in control, and He it is He that we submit to in the kingdom of God. You know, we are called to be subject to the government in matters that pertain to right and wrong. And that's that's a key point there. Now, of course, if the government told me not to read my Bible, not to pray, that I couldn't homeschool my children, or I couldn't gather in fellowship, well then, God's authority is higher than theirs, and I will continue to obey God. But here again, when it comes to the laws concerning what's morally right and morally wrong, we are to submit to these laws and pay our taxes, right? Another thing to keep in mind here is that when Paul wrote this letter, it was during the reign of the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire was no friend at the time of Christianity. Paul suffered, you know, under Nero, as the people did in that time. And when you think about Jesus, he suffered too, under the government, right, of Pontius Pilate. But both Jesus and Paul still respected the governing authorities as it pertained to the laws of of the land, and they encourage us to do the same in the Word of God. And verse 3 goes on to say, For the rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. It seems like a lot of people in our society don't understand that today, right? They don't want to they, they, they want to be afraid of authority, but they don't want to do what's right and respect the law, so they don't have to deal with the authorities. I mean, on a daily basis, I can't remember for years the last time I've had to deal with the authorities, the police or whatever, um, because my, role, my aim is to keep the law and to do what's right and to respect those that God has put into place, right? He says right here in verse 4, for he is... God's minister to you for good. So speaking of that authority, right? Take the police, for example. They are God's minister to us for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain, or today, the gun, right? They do not bear this in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. You see, the idea here is that Christians should be the best citizens of all. Even though we are loyal to God above the government, Christians are good citizens because we are to be honest. We um, give no trouble to the state or to our communities. We pay our taxes. And most importantly, we pray for our government and for the officials that we might live peaceable lives, right? Now, there in verse 4, 
it says that um, the governing authorities are God's ministers like we see there. Now, we know that many of our governing officials sometimes don't behave as if they're God's ministers at all. Not what we would think God's ministers to be. But here again, you and I walk by faith in the fact that God's ways are much higher than ours and he sees what we don't see. And he has an ultimate plan and he's in complete control. And of course, here in America, we're blessed with voting rights, which um, we can stand up where we can stand up and actually make a difference with that. But when men or women are in place that we may not like, it should not affect our obedience to God's word in always doing what is right by following the laws of the land and praying for our governing officials. The government the government is all a part of God's administration, and in the end, God rules. And when a government stops executing judgment upon sinful man, you know, that, you know, upon wrongdoers, right? When, 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 then they'll have to be dealt with by God because he has them in place for that purpose, and that's their role. That's why God had them do what they're doing, right? Over the past years, um, our country seems to be um, going downhill in many ways morally, right? Spiraling downward. But ultimately, we know too that our citizenship is in heaven. And that's where we must keep our focus and do what we're supposed to do and obey God and walk in obedience to his word. But we need to be thankful for the civil authorities that keep the peace for us. They keep our streets safe and such. Therefore, verse 5 says, therefore, you must be subject, not only because of wrath, not only because they bear the sword, because they have the gun or whatever it might be, but also for conscience sake, right? Now, as Paul mentions wrath here in verse 5, he's obviously, again, speaking of the rightful wrath that the government has to exercise judgment in an effort to keep order and peace, right? It is the government's God-given right to execute judgment upon wrongdoers. Back in verse 4 there, he says that the government does not bear the sword in vain. So there was capital punishment in those days, and the Word of God does not speak against capital punishment. And as long as that capital punishment is exercised by the God-ordained authorities, by the government, well, then that's, what, that's the way God wants it to be and the way he set it up to be. But in verse 5 here, in addition to respecting the rightful wrath of the government, we should be subject for conscience sake as well. So let's, let's talk about that for a minute. Let's talk about conscience. I'm going to have you look at a few scriptures here. Let's turn to, mark this page in your Bibles, and let's turn to the book of Acts chapter 23. Acts chapter 23. One book back to the left from Romans here. So Paul in his letter to the Romans, he brings up conscience here, right? And in verse in chapter 23 verse 1, It says, Then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, Men and brethren, 
I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. So there's an expression of Paul right there concerning how he lived his life guided by his conscience. It's not just what the law says. It's what you do when you're not under the law or when you're all by yourself and no one sees you. What's happening within you? What's your conscience tell you? And the Apostle Paul is saying that I've lived my life in all good conscience before God until this day, he says. Now, if you look up to chapter 24, I'm just going to point out a couple scriptures here on conscience, but chapter 24 of Acts and verses 15 and 16. So Acts 24, verse 15. He says, I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. You see, we know that every knee will bow to Jesus Christ. We know that everybody's going to stand before Jesus Christ. And he says in verse 16, this being so, right? In other words, because this is the case, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and men. You see, that is what we should always strive for as well. Again, we're talking about who we are as Christians. We gather like this to read the Word of God to see how we should be living. What should we doing? Be, be doing in our lives, right? And are we striving in this way? A good conscience before God and man. And we must be sure to keep it in that order. In other words, keep that as the priority. God first, right? right? And, and as much as it depends on us, right, we live peaceably with everyone, as we saw in Romans chapter 12. Today, many people in our society, again, they feel the wrath of the law. They feel the wrath of law enforcement because they don't respect the laws of the land. They don't respect property and the rights of others, so they get dealt with by the law. And again, God has given these people, put them in authority for this purpose. But as it pertains to you and I, as it pertains to the born-again Christian, we should have no problem with the law, right? We, we do all that we can to do what is right and to live good, right, before God and before man. And conscience is, you know, what we should have. We should have a good conscience and we should strive to do that, not just because of the laws, like I said, but simply because it's right and Christ is in us, and we are led by His Spirit to walk in that way. Now let's look at one more verse. Go ahead and turn back to the book of Romans, but to chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. So still speaking of conscience... Verse 1, I tell the truth in Christ, I am not lying, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit. You see, we are, or at least we should be, a Holy Spirit-led people. But we also have a conscience too, that part of us that knows right and wrong. And every living soul has this conscience, but there are some who have had their 
conscience seared, right, as with a hot iron, so that they could care less about what's wrong and what's right. And unfortunately, as our society goes on, it seems with a certain gener as a new generation comes along, it seems their conscience is more and more seared. And they could care less in many ways. They think as long as that they get what they want, right? What does it matter if they lie, cheat, or steal to get it? They don't really care. But again, those of us that have been born again of the Holy Spirit, we have the Holy Spirit bearing witness within us as well and constantly reminding us, bringing us into remembrance of all things that the Lord has said and done. That's what the Lord said the Holy Spirit would do would remind us of what the Lord said and what He did. So, so we have the Holy Spirit bearing witness with our conscience, and we know, hey, this is how we're supposed to live. And we have it written down in the Word of God, right? Now, of course, you may say that there are times when it's not easy to do good, right? Someone wrongs you and you want to lose control, but what does the Holy Spirit give us in that case? Self-control. Right? It's one of the fruits of the Spirit. There are fruits of the Spirit that we are to operate in, but we also have our conscience and we have the laws of the land to not only to protect us, but everyone else around us. You see, again, some people feel that it's okay to break the law as, as long as no one sees us doing it, but we've got to be careful ourselves that, you know, not even just breaking the law, but just what we're doing with our, in our daily lives. We talked about in Romans chapter 12, not conforming to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our minds. And we talked about what that meant, the renewing of our minds. So we should live in such a manner that we know the Holy Spirit is bearing witness in us all the time. And we're walking in a way that the Lord wants us to walk, right? So... Looking back now at Romans chapter 13 and picking it up in verse 6, Paul goes on to say, For because of this you also pay taxes. For they, still speaking about these governing authorities, right? They are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. So, Notice there that it says in verse 6, because of this, you also pay taxes. In other words, our tax money should be going toward keeping order and peace in our society. That's what God has ordained. And again, that's why we have the police and jails and such, right? Our tax money should not be going toward the bank accounts of our elected officials, right? For lavish vacations and stuff like that. God has given them authority to use our tax money to keep our land safe. And unfortunately, the government today has its nose in far too many things that God did not ordain them to have their nose in. You know, I mean, and I'm not trying to put out political opinions here, but there's just the government's overreaching in many ways, reaching into our personal lives, health insurance and all that kind of stuff, mandating it. Things like that, right? So again, but we live in a nation where we can vote, right? We have a say-so in who's in place in our government, right? But we also see in verse 6 that the government is always making sure you pay the taxes. They don't, they don't lack on that, do they? 
they'll, they'll be sure that they do that part of a job. If you're not paying the taxes, they're, they're attending continually, it says, to this very thing. They're not going to forget to do that. They might forget to do some other things that we voted them in office to do. They might forget to stand for some things, but they won't forget that, okay? And it's in the Word of God that we should and that they should do that. So, therefore, verse uh, 7 says, Render, therefore, to all their due. Taxes to whom taxes are due, custom to whom customs, uh, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor, Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves one another has fulfilled the law. So you see, there's the bottom line right there. Love. Love never fails. If you live with a good conscience, guided by love, you won't be a lawbreaker and you won't have trouble with the law. Because when the love of Christ is dominant in a person's heart, they're not going to go around breaking the laws. They're not going to violate other people's property. They'll respect their own bodies as the temple of the Holy Spirit. They'll respect others around them. They'll respect the police officers when they speak to you and such, right? And the point I'm making right now is made for us here in verse 9. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet, right? Think of people who do these things. They covet. They want what that other person has on their property, what they see over the fence. They want it. So they break in and they get it, you know, or they do these other things, right? And he says, and, and if there is any other commandment, they're all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So Paul's painting this picture here. Here's the government. Here's the authority. But you've got your conscience. You've got the Holy Spirit. And this is how you should be doing. And if you've, if you've got love within you, you're not going to offend your neighbor. You're not going to violate what's theirs. Or, or you're not going to do this kind of thing. This is all pretty self-explanatory, pretty cut and dry. If we live led by love, then all is good. And just to drive this point home, let's look, let's turn, mark this page again, and turn to Matthew chapter 22, the first book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, uh, looking down at verse 35. And these are people that are approaching and speaking to Jesus here. It says, then one of them, verse 35, then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Okay, so there's priority number one for us, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. We talked about it again, being renewed in the spirit of our mind. 
um, uh, you know, proving what is that good and acceptable will of God. That's our focus, is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, right? And when we do this, we're loving God above all else, and we're placing that as a priority in our lives. Verse 38, this is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So again, God first. We're led by the Spirit. We obey His Word. We desire to live righteously. We have fellowship with His people. Then we live peaceably with all others. And we love them as we love ourselves. We love them as Christ loved them. God so loved who? Just a certain group of Christians? No, the whole world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And we're to put that love out to other people. And that is seen in the way we live our lives. Right? And all the law will be fulfilled when we do this. And again, our spiritual eyes are really not fixed on here. Our spiritual eyes are fixed on eternity, but we do what's right here. We take care of our families, right? We respect others around us. We obey the laws of the land, and we do all of this because we're led by love, and we have Christ in us. And then back in Romans chapter 13 again, go ahead and flip back there now. Romans chapter 13 and verse 11. It says, and do this, listen to this, it says, and do this knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. And that's true for every one of us in this room. Our salvation is closer than it ever was. 10 years ago, whenever you came to the Lord, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, whatever it may be, right? But as you read this, some people may say, wow, you know, Paul said our salvation was near, and here we are a couple thousand years later, whatever, and and we're still here, right? But let's keep in mind that the Lord is patiently waiting, and this is His love, right? For as many people to get saved as will get saved, right? And we shouldn't be sleeping, though, as Christians. In other words, we should be wide awake in the way we live, in the way we keep the Word of God. We should be living righteous lives, as we've talked about many times here. We are to be people who love God above all else, love others with God's love. We're good citizens. People should look at us and say, I want what you've got. I like that person. I like the way they live. There's something about it, right? And we let them know, hey, I'm just a sinner saved by the grace of God, trusting not in my own righteousness, but rather in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, our Lord. His spirit indwells me. I'm being led by his spirit. But you know what? People won't won't inquire of us if we look like the rest of the world. If we're just a bunch of hypocrites, right? that is living like the rest of the world, complaining about this and that like the rest of the world, um, they won't ask us, hey, what's different about you? Because there's really not much different about us because they don't see anything different about us, right? But verse 12 continues on and says, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. 
Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust, right? You see, before one can put on the armor of light, we must first put off the works of darkness. And that's key. We first have to put off the works of darkness before we put on the armor of light. And as I've said to you before, it doesn't matter what your upbringing taught you or what your culture does or what your friends do or what your political affiliation believes, right? No matter what, we are to put off anything that resembles the darkness of this world. The works of darkness are characterized here as revelry, drunkenness, lewdness, lust, strife, and envy. These things are not appropriate behavior for the God of for the people of God, right? The word reverie in verse 13 is a word that means riotous behavior. This describes people that get drunk and act wild. Today it's called partying, right? You can associate that word with that, right? The word lewdness is the Greek word koite, and it's a word that means uh, hopping from bed to bed right? Living in moral lives sexually. You know, there's a prevailing attitude amongst people today of who cares, right? There's no shame and, and their, their conscience has been seared, like I said earlier, from what's right and wrong. Right and wrong. Well, again, this shouldn't be the case amongst, the, amongst those who profess Christianity. But unfortunately, many professing Christians do seem to live in these ways, Right? The armor of light, of course, is Jesus Christ. He is coming soon and very soon, and and it's drawing nearer and nearer, and we need to live like this is the case. And, And like Peter said, if this is the case, how then shall we live? How should we be living today if we know these things? And of course, we know how we should be living. It's written plainly to us in the Word of God. And we really can live this life by the power of the Holy Spirit, Right, And the Holy Spirit will affect your conscience. It will bear witness to your conscience. It will guide you each step of the way. But it's our choice. It's a personal choice that we must choose to do that. Right, And, and just to close here, you can be transformed by the renewing of your mind, as it says in Romans 12, or you can be conformed to this world. The option is, is there for both. You know, both options are there for us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, which we do through the Word of God, through the Holy Spirit, right? Or we can conform to this world. And we must stop from time to time. You know, as we keep going through this life and as we keep walking through this life and the dirt of this world gets on us, we must stop and ask ourselves, which one is taking place, right? Are we being transformed or are we conforming? Right, so this is a short chapter today, but I, I want to challenge all of us with this one thing, right? That, that is, 
and I talked about this the last time we gathered, actually, we have to be careful what we allow into our eyes and to our ears and what we give our mind to. And, and you, know, you know, are we looking at things that are true and noble and just and pure and lovely and of good report, as Philippians 4, 8 says, if that's what we should be striving to do, right? It doesn't matter how many other so-called Christians around us are, are living in different ways. Right? You see, if you think on things that are true and noble and just and pure and virtuous, then you will be a person that will also respect and obey the God-ordained laws of the land and the ordinances and, and the authorities that He has put in place. Right? We must never forget that we're called to be a holy people, a separate people. And there's a very different life that the born-again Christian should be living. And it's all explained to us very, very simply in the pages of our Bible. So we need to read it, so we need to listen to it, and we need to grow in our faith as a result. And most, most importantly, above all, we don't just read it. We don't just hear the Word of God. We do it. We have to be doers of the Word. So just once again, some very practical instructions on how we are to be living found here in the Word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, God, we thank You for this time. But Lord, this is a short time in Your Word. Now we have a whole week ahead of us. And how will we live? Will we feed ourselves spiritually this week, Lord? Will we pick up Your Word? Will we pray? Will we seek you? Will we place you as the priority in the coming week, Lord? I pray so, Lord. I pray that your word, Lord, will have its effect in our lives daily, Lord. It's a living word, active word, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of our hearts, Lord. And we need to be changed, Lord. We need to be focused on you, Lord, every day taking up the cross and following, up, following after you daily, Lord. So, Lord, thank you that we can gather like this and have this reminder given to us in your word. But again, Lord, I pray that we will not be forgetful hearers of what we see in your word, but we will be doers of the work that you desire for us to do. So we again acknowledge you in our path in the coming week and your will to be done. In Jesus' name, amen.